Welcome to Cloud of Witnesses. Cloud of Witnesses is a platform used to discuss real problems in our world regarding racial inequalities, housing insecurity, mental health, health disparities, and more. Cloud of Witnesses is a consortium of diverse stories and resources from within our community. Cloud of Witnesses provides access to personal perspectives and expert opinions with the goal of providing fact-based information and solutions. Cloud of Witnesses allows people from all walks of life to connect, collaborate, and learn from one another during these unprecedented times. We are Cloud of Witnesses. 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 And welcome to our podcast. Welcome, everybody. My name is Chloe Nicola. I'm one of the co-directors for the UNC Charlotte Millennium Fellowship Cohort, and we're here with our Cloud of Witnesses project for another podcast. Um, So just to explain a little bit what the Millennium Fellowship is, um, so it's a project that's presented by the UN Academic Impact and the Millennium Campus Network, and so they encourage um, college cohorts to apply with projects that are based on advancing one or more sustainable development goals. Um, This year for this class, they had over 15,000 applicants from across the world. Luckily, we were a part of the over 1,000 selected from 80 campuses in 20 countries. And so our project, Cloud of Witnesses, focuses on SDG Goal 3, which is Good Health and Well-Being, and SDG Goal 4, which is Quality Education. And so to here, we'll go a little bit more into depth about our projects specifically. Yeah, so when we were selected for the Millennium Fellowship at the beginning of the pandemic, our goal was to kind of highlight the stories of those that were not only affected by the pandemic, but also those that were working behind the scenes to sort of lessen the negative effects caused by the pandemic. And some of these effects are health disparities, financial stability, racial inequalities. So really our main objective was to highlight the journey that we are all on relative to this pandemic that we're all living through. And our mission with Cloud of Witnesses is to kind of be a one-stop shop consortium. And this collection of information and conversations is going to be presented through this podcast here that we have today and also on our website. And this will basically be used to create a dialogue for not only UNC Charlotte students, but you know, we want to reach out to all students in the North Carolina college system and hopefully throughout the world and other communities. So that leads us to why we have Dr. Jones here today. Dr. Jones and I had the pleasure of meeting at ASG conference last weekend, which is basically where all of the student government associations come to meet and, you know, discuss legislation and talk through topics and converse in different committees in relation to the Student Government Association as a whole for North Carolina. And so um, that's where Dr. Jones and I met. And he is the Vice President of Grad Relations Committee. So yeah, Dr. Jones, I'll let you go ahead and give us a little bit of a bio introduction about yourself, if you don't mind. Yeah, absolutely. So hello, thank you for having me. I am Derek D. Jones Jr. And I'm just excited to be here and also excited to be a part of a great work that you are doing, that you both are doing, focusing on good health and well-being and quality of life is something that's very important to me. 
I come from North Carolina. I got my BS in human biology from NC State University. I got my master's in chemistry from the North Carolina Agricultural and Technical State University. And I am now just in the final stages of completing the PhD, like I'll officially be Dr. Jones next week in medicinal biochemistry. So, and I'm just happy to be with you all to share in this discussion. I just wanted to also highlight, like, I was doing some research on you after we met and talked, and I came across an article in which you were referred to as a superstar grad student of UNCG, um, Department of Chemistry and Biochemistry. So it's pretty evident to see the, the wide range of people that you've impacted through your work and stuff like that. So what is your biggest focus right now? I know you, you said that you're officially going to be Dr. Jones next week, but what is on the table for you to come? Yeah, that's a really good question. First of all, let me just go back to this superstar graduate student. There have been a lot of things put out about me that I am not privy to. So that actually made my damn superstar like, oh God, I feel like Beyonce a little bit. But anyway, my focus is always going to be mental health and accessibility to food resources, food insecurity, and just getting rid of or yeah taking away the stigma that mental health is a bad thing to go get counseling taking away the stigma that um needing food for a day is a bad thing because if you have to choose between going out to eat or paying your rent then you are categorized as food insecure and people don't understand that if you are overwhelmed with excitement or if you are overwhelmed because you just feel like you have a lot on your plate you are in mental crisis overwhelming is mental crisis um suicide thoughts isn't a crisis suicide thoughts mean act now so that's my whole thing. I just want students to have access to these resources so that they can feel healthy, they can feel authentically them. And also another side thing about me, I just want people to feel like they can be whomever they want to be in this world that we are living in today. It doesn't matter what they want to be, who they want to be, how they want to be referred to as. That's what really matters to me is that we bring world peace by allowing people to be. That's so powerful. So tell us a little bit about your journey. And then I think Chloe's going to get more in depth into your PhD and how you got there. But tell us why you chose the path that you chose. That's a great question. And I'm going to keep it as concise as possible. So I chose the path that I chose. So when I was at NC State, well, when I was in high school, I always wanted to be a medical doctor. That was just what I wanted to be. That was what I was going to be. It was no changing that at all. However, um, I became an EMT my junior year, had to resuscitate somebody back to life. He was actually visiting his wife's graveside and he went out at the graveside and we were called there. And I'm on top of him like, you got to live in a graveyard. And it was at that moment I realized that I couldn't tell anyone that 
they have lost a loved one or that their loved one only has this amount of time to live, if that makes sense. And I knew I didn't want to necessarily go into psychiatry because I don't want people to feel like they are a problem in a sense or that have been any type of mental help as far as medication is something bad. So I didn't want to be a part of that process. And I definitely didn't want to be a coroner that deal with dead bodies. That just was not me. So then I was like, oh God, what am I going to do? I reached out to A&T and it was like, yeah, we'll accept you, but you got to take these classes and it's going to take about three years for you to graduate. I said, I'm not doing this in three years. I'm going to come and I'm going to complete it in two years. And that's what I did. I came and I conquered in two years. And the reason why I chose A&T, the reason why I chose to continue on in graduate education is because I realized that you can do so much for the medical field behind the scenes, like the research, like a lot of the bacterial and viral infections, COVID-19. It takes biomedical scientists like myself to actually study the infection, infectious disease and figure out what it is doing to cause the infection and what mode could we use to stop it. That's so much easier doing than telling somebody they have a disease and right now there's nothing we can do to stop it. So that's why I chose this path. And also I just wanted to be around people. I love people and wanting to make people feel like they belong in every aspect of being. I respect that so much. I totally understand what you're saying about being the good guy and having to give the bad news or also being the good guy and working towards maybe finding a better solution rather than having to present bad news to someone. I totally understand that. And I, that makes me understand why you chose the path you did because you definitely are a very extroverted people person. So your self-description as you know, someone who works behind the scenes in the medical field really fits into like, exactly the kind of people that we're trying to target with this podcast. So that was, that was a great description. <laughs> I want to ask you just a little bit about your PhD program that you're about to um, conclude here work that you've been doing in your doctoral thesis you could answer questions like like what is your research centered around and how do you um, hope that your work will influence the world outside of academia that is a great question and i love answering this question now that we're in the state of emergency that we're in now so my phd focuses on mrsa methicillin resistant staphylococcus aureus People know it as MRSA. This was one of the first bacterial pandemics or outbreaks that happened back in the 1920s or 1940s. And it happened because it became resistant to a lot of the antibiotics that people were being treated with. And we're still fighting this infection Today, hundreds of thousands of people are still being diagnosed. Thousands are still dying in the U.S. today because of it being antibiotic resistant. So one thing that I do as an analytical chemist, I use analytical techniques to understand the language of the pathogen. I think that every living organism 
have a language. Humans have a language. Monkeys, gorillas have a language. Giraffes have their own language. Dogs and cats have a language. We know when they're happy. We know when they are feisty or rude and stuff. So they have their own language. So my goal was to understand the language and help silence the communication that tends to bully our skin and cause death. So it wasn't necessarily focusing on killing the bacteria because believe it or not, 30% of all humans are colonized with a form of staph aureus in their nose. So it's a commensal bacteria, but whenever it sees the opportunity to be a bully, it will be a bully. And that's what my goal is, to stop it from seeing that opportunity to be a bully and to stop the communication of the bullying. So I hope I explained it in terms that people will understand, because a lot of times when you explain science, you use all of these big words. I could have said antivirulent strategies instead of antibiotics and quorum sensing and all of that. And I try to stay away from that and focus on the message that could actually impact the people. As someone in the liberal arts you know, area myself, I really appreciate that language. <laughs> yeah. um, and thank you for you know, kind of explaining your goal, because I feel like a lot of people um, who you know, kind of work outside of the medical field kind of see diseases in humans being like, we need to kill the disease, you know, we need to get rid of it. So I think it's interesting that your work focuses on not necessarily cutting it out, but just cutting out the communication to where it can become deadly. So I feel like more people can understand um, you know, how MRSA works and how that kind of thing works now. So thank you. Yeah, absolutely. I just believe that we all deserve to coexist as long as long as we aren't infringing on somebody else or causing harm to someone else. Why kill something? You know what I'm saying? They are producing something in our environment that we might need later on. So, yeah. So I was wondering if you could tell us more about your process of entering into a PhD program um, and any barriers that you had to overcome either in your application process or as a, as a current student. Ooh, y'all getting deep. Y'all <laughs> want to know the truth and I'm here to make you free. Yeah, so the application process, I will say I applied to five institutions for my PhD program. And I got into all of the institutions that I applied to, one being the number one in the country for analytical chemistry, which is what I do. And I decided to go to UNCG. They weren't the number one in the country. The PhD program was just getting started in 2008, I believe. So I decided to go to UNCG because I wanted to be somewhere where I can make a difference somewhere small enough where I can make a difference, where I can have an impact on people's lives. And UNCG just felt like that place, the, the chemistry and biochemistry department felt like a family. And so that's why I chose UNCG to pursue a PhD. Now, once I got to UNCG, there have been some challenges and roadblocks. I'm not your average PhD student. I didn't have a straight path into getting the PhD. Usually you choose a research advisor, you stay with that research advisor until the completion of your PhD. 
I had to change my research advisor twice. It wasn't the research advisor fault, neither was it my fault. It was just the fault of having two different goals. Hard for an extrovert to work with an introvert or an excited introvert to work with an introvert. You know what I'm saying? And I had to come to that realization that it just wasn't going to work. So I was fortunate enough to be able to get in the lab where I was fully supported in all of my extracurriculars, like with ASG, with Graduate Student Association, so many other things to help people. Um, because I believe in order to do real science, you have to see people as human first. You have to be a part of a community. Like scientists are not just in a building and are robots. I don't believe that. Some scientists believe that and I'm okay with that, but I'm not that scientist. And so I joined this lab and it's been phenomenal. Two years, eight months, and I'm getting a PhD. That's unheard of, which I'm very, very thankful for. And I've experienced a lot of roadblocks. I was told by, and this wasn't from UNCG, but I was told from a person in the National Academy of Sciences, that's the highest level of achievement that you can get before a Nobel Prize that I would never be a scientist, that I should never do science and I should never do medicine because I will be ineffective and I could not do it. And I had to wrestle with that a lot in my life. And to have been published, a published scientist now, peer review published, I'm like, I can show this in your face and ask the question, are you sure that I'm not a scientist now? It's just dealing with those types of things when I joined the lab that I'm in now, I joined in a broken state. I was severely broken. I did not believe in myself. I did not believe I could do science. I did not believe the science I was doing was true. Just because being one of the only Black people in the program and not having a Black professor in the program whatsoever is very, very disencouraging because you don't see people like you. And it automatically, I automatically put up a border when I go in a room full of people that don't look like me because we don't have common shared analysis on things. And then it took some time and some patience of my professor to just work with me and help me understand that Derek, you are the scientist that people need. You are the community builder that people need. You are what we need in chemistry. And so by just understanding that piece of it made things a lot easier for me and helped me accept a lot of things about myself and also accept that I can do it. And when I do it, I'm going to bring a lot of people through it with me. So, yeah. Oh, that, yeah, that's so great. That was one of the things that really resonated with me, that you had so many people in your life tell you that you would never be able to achieve what you've achieved. And so to be able to overcome that is amazing. And I can definitely say I've been in similar situations and been wrestling back and forth with myself about what I plan to do when I graduate. One of the things that I really am interested in doing is exploring industrial organizational psychology and UNC Charlotte has a PhD program for that, but they also have a master's program for it. 
So I am definitely trying to figure out whether or not I want to take the PhD path and do more research or just, you know, get a master's in it, which would be shorter and easier, I guess some would say, right? But for me, I've definitely had people that have been like, are you sure you want to do that? It's going to take a long time. You know, maybe you should just go ahead and get your diploma and start working. You know, I've had a lot of people tell me, why are you even considering going to grad school? You just need to start working. And so, um, so yeah, it's really great to hear your perspective and your story on that, which kind of leads me into the work that you've done, you know, as a graduate student and your experience and your journey with that. One of the things that we talked about last weekend was how you've not only been a mentee, but you've also had to be a mentor a lot through your journey to your PhD. So if you wanted to elaborate on that a little bit with us, that'd be great. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, mentorship is one of the staples of my life. I love being a mentee, but mentoring I don't know if I could do anything if I wasn't able to mentor students. And so, as many people would probably guess, all of my mentees in science have been black, cis, female women. And I was just like, I don't know why I always attract these people to mentee, but one thing that I always tell my mentees is that we're going to sit down, we're going to figure out what you want to do, and we're going to make it happen. And one thing I always tell people is when I commit to you is a lifetime commitment. And so like, if I'm going to walk with you to one phase, I'm going to walk with you through every phase of your life, good or bad, and or bad, I should say. And so I always make that commitment to my mentees. A lot of them come wanting to go to medical school, and I was fortunate enough to get all of the ones that wanted to go to medical school into medical school. And then I was fortunate enough to change the minds of some to do science, which was great. But yeah, just being that mentor and being a Black face in science, and I try to stick away from the identity politics, but once you realize that we are in a system that is based on class and our identity is overcome with this class, you just cannot help it. So being a Black face and having Black students come in and matriculate through chemistry and realize that they can do it and that is not as hard and that you don't have to be this term called smart. You just have to be willing and able to apply yourself um, to do that. And I always tell my students this, and I've been so fortunate because I've been in so many leadership positions to mentor people outside of chemistry. And that's what I enjoy the most because it gives me a chance to kind of expand my knowledge base and to stand with people even in their struggle. So I just really enjoy mentoring people. That's something that's never going to stop with me. Black, white, red, woman, man, non-binary. That's not going to ever leave me. Like mentorship is something that really sticks with me. And to hear I was going to tell you to do the PhD, don't do the master's, go straight for the PhD. I can tell you from experience, 
once you do the master's, it's like a condensed PhD program, okay, if that it. makes sense. So just go ahead and do the PhD. Don't worry about the time. Don't worry about what people are saying. If you want to do it, just go ahead and do it. We need more people with PhDs that look like you, that look like Chloe. We need yeah. more people out there that really want to make a change, that have degrees. And even though you get your PhD in a specific specific field, I, I want you to understand that having a PhD kind of puts you in a level of power where people respect your voice. So I want you to take that and hold on to that and just keep pushing forward if you decide to do a PhD. And you know that I'll be here if you need me. You have my number. Yeah, I will definitely be in contact with you going forward. I think that you and I have kind of already built a bond and we've only yeah. been together for a week. So that's so great. And one of the things that I wanted to highlight that you mentioned was the fact that you said one of your favorite parts about mentorship is actually mentoring people that are not even in biochem or chemistry. And the big takeaway that I got from that is you learn more from them than you are actually giving them. Like it's a, a balance beam. And I thought that, that was so great because they probably don't realize how much they're impacting your life as well. Something that I wanted to highlight as well was you talked about how, you know, people can be told that they're not smart enough or they don't have the right, you know, qualities um, to be in these kind of professions, especially if they come from, you know, minorities in sciences, such as women or people of color. And so I think it's so important that people have mentors to point out that this is wrong. Because if they don't, they could just go on believing that. And so I think the work that you're doing is, is preventing those people from not believing in themselves. Oh, yeah. That's the goal, to annihilate the big voice that says that you can't and maximize that small voice that says that you can because that you can is what drives the success. You can is what drives world peace. That you can't is what is got us in all of these wars right now. But if we just maximize that you can do it, imagine how much peace we will have in this world. I'm just getting happy talking about it because it's just something that I'm just so invested in the you can part of it. Yeah. And that should be my slogan. Okay. I'm sorry. <laughs> I think we just developed your slogan. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Thank you so much. One of the questions I was going to ask was what you're doing to support the marginalized groups within the realm of STEM. And it, I think you covered basically all of that. My question is, is there some sort of like group that you're trying to formulate or is there something at UNCG like a um, program that you're a part of that links those students together to annihilate, like you said, some of the problems that grad students face, but not only just grad students, students that are less represented in the STEM major? Yeah, that's a great question. So one thing I failed to mention is that I was the executive vice president of the Graduate Student Association for two years. And then last year, I was the president of the Graduate Student Association at UNCG. And one of the biggest things my whole time in the administration was graduate student visibility and graduate student awareness and just bringing graduate students together because as graduate students, it's so easy to be stuck in one building the whole time. As an undergrad, it's, it's easier, like we got to take these psychology courses, we got to take these biology courses, 
and physics is in this old building and then we got math in another building so it's easier to make friends but when you kind of narrow down into graduate student education you notice that graduate students are stuck in the lab or stuck in the building where their program is because they are trying to get in and out and one of the things that i wanted to do is let graduate students know that i know that you're hungry i know that one in three graduate students go hungry on campus every day i know that you're struggling with bills i know that you're an adult i know that you're stressed out and let's bring about a change let's have graduate student appreciation week so two years ago i was like we need to have a graduate student appreciation week and we started that two years ago and now it's just something that's happening every year although covid shut it down this year we went from having participation of about 50 graduate students at an event to over 300 students at an event and making friends and just coming and being a support. And one of the major things in that role is me having to be a counselor to graduate students that they would just come to the office and bust out crying. And I'm like, oh my God, what did I do? And they was like, you didn't do nothing. It's just like you create this presence of safety. By doing that, I realized that so many graduate students weren't being heard in their departments, weren't being heard by their advisors and needed advice, and they just wanted to be heard. So by being graduate student association president, that's the one thing that I made sure is that graduate students were heard, even if that made me look like the bad guy, which in a lot of times it made me look terrible at that point, but I've gained respectfully now i'm called a superstar <laughs> in some cases and i heard that my pictures were hanging around in uh, undergraduate resident halls and i'm like whoa that's a lot but it's just like that re that's really important to me that graduate students are able to be heard and also not only graduate students but undergraduate students when i say graduate students i just use that because Sometimes graduate students don't know the same opportunities that are for undergraduates are for graduate students as well. And so I've done a lot with the Graduate Student Association. I was fortunate enough to raise more than $6,000 for food insecurity for graduate students. And we were able to feed more than 300 graduate student families with $25 gift certificates to a local business during the pandemic to keep the local business afloat and also to make sure graduate students were getting fed. I was just so grateful to the university that they allow us to go through so many loopholes to make that happen because I wasn't going to take no for an answer. I went and sat down in offices and was like, I need $500 for the Graduate Student Association. I need $500. I talked with deans, and deans say, we normally don't do this, but you're so passionate about it. Um, we, we can't say none. I was like, I want to put you in a pit position where you can't say no to me. Yeah, that's been very great. And that's still going on with the Graduate Student Association. And 
with ASG. I'm going to be taking a lot of that stuff. I'm going to put your podcast on the ASG website, of course, so it could have a broader reach. And we have a lot more things that are going to be happening with ASG that I'm just happy about not just supporting graduate students, but supporting students as a whole because you all are going to be graduate students one day. So giving you your voice now so you don't have to fight for it later. One of the things that you did mention was COVID. And I think that Chloe's going to ask you a couple of questions about how that's affected things in your life. Yeah. I was really glad to hear that you and UNCG were able to work to get those meals for graduate students because that's something that so many people have gone through, especially in the spring and the summer. So I wanted to ask you specifically, have graduate students' retention rates seen a decline due to COVID? Have people dropped out? Has, has this been a problem? So I don't know the numbers per se, but I can tell you that enrollment has not been at its all-time high. I can tell you that a lot of the course loads have been a lot lighter now for graduate students and students across the board because they have been affected tremendously by it. I am an advocate for all students and the enrollment is decreasing. We see decrease in enrollment because of COVID because students don't have access to a camera. Students don't have access to a computer. Students don't have access to these things. So if they are even taking one credit hour and they are paying something to the university, then the university should be providing those things for the students in order to enable the success. I am a planet shaker when it comes to that. Don't take my students' money or my money and don't give them the things that they need. So yes, a lot of graduate students have been affected. A lot of graduate students are married and have families and their partners or spouses have been furloughed, don't have jobs. And a lot of them are international students and low income students. So just imagine how that is playing on their mental and some of them had to pick up jobs just to keep their family and I get emotional every time I think about it because I remember when I was a child and my dad I don't know if y'all remember when the chicken sandwiches they were not a dollar 19 cent but they were 99 cent or one dollar and seven cent plus the big tea for a dollar. My dad would literally buy me a dollar fry, a dollar chicken sandwich with no mayo and a dollar tea and give it to me to eat. And I'll eat three fourths of the sandwich and I wasn't grateful and get rid of the rest, not knowing that my dad was sacrificing not having a meal so that his child could eat. And so he didn't tell me these stories until I grew up so I could understand it a little bit and understand why he was hurt so many times or why he would get upset with me. And when he told me the story, I vowed to myself, I vowed to the world, I committed myself to this world that as long as I could help it, not one person that's connected to me will ever have to face that. I am committed to that fight.
So yeah, I'm sorry for that long-winded answer, but yeah, that's a big one for me. Yeah, that was a perfect answer. Um, no, it really, I think that's kind of the case across the educational board, you know, whether it's students in elementary school or in master's programs, you know, if, if there were food insecurities before, they're worse now. If there was a technological balance between students at schools, um, it's more visible now. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I think you gave a perfect explanation. Thank you for that. <laughs> yeah. Now, specifically for yourself, has you know, COVID-19 at all kind of impacted your ability to do research and finishing up your program? And how so, if that's the case? Ooh, I was going to say, child, yes. But <laughs> <laughs> I just needed for us to laugh. I know that we're serious, but it's good. I love seeing you laugh. Um, but yes, it has. Schools had shut down. It was good for me in the sense that I was able to get an article published and all of that. That was very exciting for me. It was stressful in the sense that my research advisor told me, Derek, you're now ready to graduate. And I'm like, no, I'm not. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, what am I going to do? Like, there's no postdocs. It's COVID. Every, the world is shutting down. Like, why do you want me to graduate? And so it has affected me in that particular way. I have a mentee who's actually getting ready to have her first author publication, research publication, and it kind of put things on hold for her for finishing up last experiments because we had to go through like a two months or one month and a half hiatus with writing documents for the university to approve us to go in. And we even had to say, since we deal with infectious diseases, we had to keep it open. So that was easy for me to get in. But like for undergrads and scientists, it wasn't as easy. So it affected us in that way. It affected me in being the first person in my family to get a PhD in anything my family is not going to be here to see my PhD defense. My family will not be able to see me walk across the stage and get hooded with my PhD. And that hurts knowing that, but I understand that the safety and the well-being of humanity is far more important than me getting a hoodie. A thing that y'all don't know, my dad had a severe heart attack um, two years ago. He was going to a community college two months before his graduation, and he had a severe heart attack. And they didn't get him in the hospital within that 30-second window, he would have died. I'm his only child, and he raised me as a single parent. So imagine that stress on me. And every time I think about it, my dad come up here now, he could be exposed to this and it could take him out. So I'm like, I'd rather have my dad here with me. And yes, I did buy that $1,400 cap and gown uh, for my, look at your eyes, Chloe. <laughs> yes, that $1,400 thing, because it's going to be a celebration. And I told my dad, if I get hooded in a park, I will be happy if my dad put the hood over me. You know, the hood is the thing that go around your neck, not the actual hat. If my dad has to do it and we take pictures, 
it's still going to be a celebration. As a chemist, we make solutions. We find solutions, right? So I'll be happy with that. And knowing that I don't know the next steps in my life, but just knowing that I'm going to be able to impact so many lives with this PhD, that's what's going to be more important to me. Walking across the stage, yes, that's important, but when I see Tahira walk across the stage, I'm going to be crying because it'll be like, she made it. When I see Chloe walk across the stage, hopefully y'all send me invites <clears throat> um, to your graduation. When I see y'all walking across the stage, when I see y'all walking across the stage, I'm going to be like, this is what really matters to me. Yes, my life matters, but seeing others conquer the world. You both are females and being a female, you are already a part of the oppressed. Tahira, you being a female of color, you are one of the most oppressed individuals in this country. But to see you all conquer in those types of environments would mean more to me than a simple hood. <laughs> so yeah, but yeah, that's how COVID has affected me. I always challenge people to look at what good is coming out of it. My dad is still here. I got to meet Tahira under unusual circumstances, but who's to say that I would have met you if we would have been in ASG, like, in person? You know what I'm saying? Who would have said there could have been so many changes so I just think that everything happens for a purpose in life. And COVID-19 sucks, but I am just harnessing on all of the good that's happening with us. <laughs> <laughs> no, I totally get it. Yes. Oh my gosh, I love your answers. You're just bringing so much life and positivity to this discussion, and I just can't thank you enough. Uh, your balance of like perspectives on COVID, you know, like having some time for your, your emotional health to you know, be disappointed about certain things that aren't going to happen. And that's, and that is valid and that's fine. But then also keeping in the wider scope of things about how, even though things aren't going the way that you might've imagined in years previously, that you're still going to be able to help in these ways. And you still get these moments with your dad, even if it's not quite normal. Um, so I really, really am thankful for you sharing your view on that. Cause I think that could help a lot of, a lot of people to kind of digest what has been happening these last couple of months. Yeah, absolutely. And one of the biggest takeaways, I think, from your discussion is this, the sense of community. That was one of the, the big topics that we discussed with Dr. Lennon in our last podcast. She is a doctor at our Counseling and Psychological Services office at UNC Charlotte. And one of the biggest treatments for health, from her perspective, is building a sense of community. And a lot of your answers were centered around building that community. You yourself, right there in the middle building a community with the people around you, building a community with me and Chloe even here today. So I just can't thank you enough for all of your work in that and just being so steadfast in it. It just sounds like it's like the center of your world. And, and I love that. I just can't thank you enough for being here and sharing your story with us. And so let's kind of gear into mental health a little bit more. We've definitely touched on it a bunch. wanted to ask, would you mind kind of sharing your journey with mental health because I know one of the biggest topics and one of your biggest sayings is go to therapy and how powerful therapy is. So tell us how you kind of got there in your mindset and how you kind of changed the mindset about going to therapy and mental health. 
Yes, so I'm going to share a personal story with you all that I believe that people need to hear. So you all get to share some breaking news, some Beyonce. And I'm totally okay with you all sharing this because whatever in my life that I can share, whether good or bad, to help someone else is all me. I I don't mind doing it no matter how painful it is to discuss or anything. I believe in order for others not to experience the pain, you have to address it head on. So when I first got to UNCG, I was not out as a person who liked men. I grew up in the Pentecostal and apostolic faith where we spoke in tongues and they cast out demons and made you throw up in trash cans and all of that stuff. Not Nothing against it, but I'm just giving you some things about it. And so um, I decided to come out and my dad had a hard time accepting it. Told me I was an embarrassment to the name of the Jones family. He said a lot of hurtful things because he was responding emotionally. And then when he was able to respond relationally, that's when we were able to build our relationship back. And so with that happening, I had lost 80 pounds in three months. So I went from 230 pounds to 150 pounds in three months. I felt like I needed to be in control of something and my weight was the thing that I could be in control of. So I decided not to eat food, food disorder, anorexia had become my reality. A lot of things had just happened. And one thing, my current mentor, she seen me breaking. She seen me fragile. All it took was for me to shed one tear. She stopped everything she was doing. She said, research don't matter. Let's get up and we're walking to the counseling center together. She walked with me to the counseling center. I was in a state where I could not fill out the paperwork. She filled it out for me, with me. She sat there with me the whole time. That right there had changed my life forever. Realizing that I wasn't necessarily going to kill myself, but I lost control of what I saw myself as, if that makes sense to you all. Mm -hmm. And so by experiencing that, you realize that a lot of things in your childhood was traumatic that you didn't even think about once you get into the counseling center and start going to therapy. First of all, side note, I do therapy once a week, sometimes two times a week, just to make sure that I'm balanced. But one thing about mental health for me is me realizing that mental health or getting counseling don't mean that let's wait till you feel like you're going to kill yourself and 
you're in crisis. That's not crisis. Crisis is what I was dealing with when I came out and I wanted to be in control and I thought I was in control, but I lost control of everything else. I wasn't able to compartmentalize things that were happening in my life. Another thing that had happened for me was whenever I'm recognized for doing so much, like when I was able to raise more than $6,000 for graduate students, it was so exciting and overwhelming that I had to go to therapy because even when you're extremely happy, you can still say something that could hurt someone else and not mean it at all, right? So I always go to therapy as a way of understanding how I'm communicating with people. That's what mental health is for me, is taking what I understand and making sure I can communicate with people effectively and that I'm communicating with myself and understanding myself enough. And so that's what mental health is. I want to get rid of the stigma that mental health is for people that are just losers or that got problems and issues. And I want to change it to mental health is for people who want to fully accept who they are and live in their truth and understand how to effectively communicate with others. That's what mental health is to me. And I'm sure that if we look at it that way, everything else will just be smooth. So that's what it is to me. It could be different for someone else, but mental health is about communicating and affirming yourself and also making sure that same affirmation and communication is coming out to others. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's so true. Connecting the dots there is so important because you never know how you're going to impact somebody. And sometimes you need a professional to say like, hey, stop beating yourself up about this. Or, you know, I know you're, you're celebrating, you just achieved and accomplished this, but maybe this is the right way to go about it. And sometimes you just need that person to lean on and tell you what's right and what's wrong, right? I mean, mm -hmm. there's a lot of wrestling that goes on, I think, in everybody's minds and during certain situations. So having a person that you can go talk to regularly to just help reaffirm, like you said, your own thoughts and beliefs about yourself and others is powerful i think for anybody and also one of the things that you stated I, I thought was really great was the fact that you know you had your mentor take you and literally fill out the paperwork with you like the fact that she saw that you needed that was so moving to me because i think it just takes one person to to recognize something that someone else is going through everybody has gone through a situation where they felt like they couldn't talk to anybody about it and having somebody close enough to you to, to see that in you when you're not communicating that and be able to say, hey, I see, I see what you're going through, even though you're not telling me, let's go figure out a solution. So that is just amazing that you had a mentor in your life that did that. And I think that that's also shaped the way that you mentor people. I can definitely see how that's affected the way that you value and the way that you view mentorship. Oh, yes, absolutely. 
I thought you, your kind of summary of at least your experience with mental health was pretty head on, just you know, being about your, your relationships and your communication with others, but then also with yourself. Um, I know that's, that's true for me as well. So I, I thought that was a really great way of summing that up. Yeah, absolutely. My next question was kind of your perspective on whether or not you thought that there were enough resources out there to support the mental health needs of all the students, you know, at your school or just in general. But I think that we can all kind of agree that there's not. And I think, <laughs> right, like it just, it takes a community. It takes the people around you to help move you towards getting the resources that you need. And you are exactly right. That's the one thing that I always tell people. I'm not interested in problems that people bring up but don't have a solution to. Does that make sense? They're not trying to come from a place of understanding but complaining. I don't want nothing to do with it. But if they have a genuine concern or problem, then I'm more solution-oriented. So you and I, Tahira, we're going to be working hand-in-hand with it. We'll work collaboratively to see what things are needed for students. Because I don't know everything. I haven't been an undergrad for eight years now. So I don't know all of the experiences there you all are now capturing what graduate students are going through and recognizing that it's sort of like the same. It's a little magnified, but it's sort of like the same. I'm so grateful to have you on my team, Tahira and Chloe. We cannot keep blaming mental health professionals. That's not healthy for them. Let's try to aid and help. Instead of blaming and complaining about not having enough, why not ask mental health professionals like you're doing? Let's come on a podcast. What can we do? And then we do that. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, I think it, your, your point is exactly correct because, you know, it's not just mental health people. It's also the on-campus resources like food pantries and other student support services where if those things are solid, it'll be, you know, less of a, less of a stressor for mental health in the first place. You're absolutely right with pulling, you know, all these resources for students to take advantage of um, so that there's less pressure on those organizations. Yeah, that is so true. Uh, you're just an amazing human being. Sharing your stories with us, your vulnerability and your willingness to open up is amazing. So just thank you again for that. Yeah, absolutely. And I want to thank you both. Like I said before, and now Chloe, I'm just so into building community whether you like it or not i'm always on your side i'm here to walk with both you and tahira and whoever else every step of the way let's understand like what's actually going on here so that's just something i love to do i'm very thankful that we have someone like you in the academic community and just the, our, our community in general you've definitely found your calling i'm so glad that you can be passionate about multiple things your, your career and also mentoring other students as well thank you for what you do yeah absolutely i feel like i'm talking to two famous people like <laughs> Out of 15,000 applications or 20,000, y'all were two of the thousand in so many countries. This is phenomenal. And I will always celebrate 
that always remember that you were chosen is not about being woman, is not about being black, is not about anything. You were chosen because you deserve to be there. So when those little voices in your head of tokenization start piling up, just say, no, I was chosen. And watch and see things just ease up. It's not going to be easy all the time, but I believe in you all so much. I'm just looking at your background and I just see so much peace back there right now. So just remember, keep that same peace. And if someone wants to destroy that peace, then that's another conversation we can have off of the recording. We will keep that peace intact. All right. Definitely. I think we'll definitely have you back on the podcast at some time. I mean, we have so many great, <laughs> great topics to talk about. I mean, I feel like we just hit the nail on the head. And is there any final words, Dr. Jones, that you'd like to give our audience? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so to the audience out there, to the dreamers, I always say this. First of all, to the people who view themselves as female, as women. Thank you so much for giving birth to this nation. You have the unique gift of birthing a nation. To all of the men out there who ascribe to be a man, thank you for showing us what it means to live in your truth and be a man, whatever being a man looks like to you. For all my non-binary and transgender kindred, thank you for accepting your truth and walking in your truth. Despite the statistics, we are all going to make it together. We are all in this together. And just remind yourself, picture life as a garden. And when we see things that we don't like or that affect us, it's sort of like, reminding us that we got to go back to the garden and take out the weeds. We don't want the grass to overgrow. So just remind yourself that life is a garden and sometimes we just have to do more work to beautify the garden. It's a wrap, folks. So that concludes our second episode of Cloud of Witnesses podcast. We're so lucky to have Dr. Jones. What an amazing person with amazing soul, amazing spirit. He was just a blessing to have on Cloud of Witnesses today. And our discussion took us to places we did not even think that we would go. So again, we just want to say a huge thank you to our listeners for tuning in to us we really appreciate you guys spending your hour a week with us this has been an amazing project that we've been working on and we just hope that we are touching the lives of those that we intend to the people that are in our communities unc charlotte students students all over the world millennium fellowship thank you